Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another fabulous edition of the KWUR Theater of the Air. I'm David Reinstrom. Over at the board, it's me, David Brunel Brutman. And in this chair, I'm Alex Jensen. And in this corner, wearing white from the city of Oshkosh Pagosh. Ding! Alex Jensen! Oh, crush! Who is her opponent? And over in that corner, wearing red and a turban made of steel. It's the Iron Shake from Puerto Rico. It doesn't make sense, but yet here he is, our wonderful intern, Rafael. Come, I bid you come close to the microphone and speak. <gasps> it's not the Iron Shake, it's Shakira. We were misled. Oh. Anyway, I, I well, was going to say the, the gentle voice of a Puerto Rican chic. <laughs> the, they are very rare. Anyway, welcome yes, back. Indeed. Uh, welcome indeed. If you are a WashU student, we hope you had a wonderful and safe spring break. I know I had fun on mine. Mine was pretty good. I went, I went to Hollywood Alex? to seek my fortune. Yeah, I was okay. Okay, good. It was uh, pretty cool. So speaking of Hollywood, yes. our theme today is... Star Wars! Come on, Alex! Alright, I'm gonna cut us off right there because we'll just keep going. Beautiful. Yes, we, if you remember, two. Ish shows ago, two yes. shows ago, when Alex was kidnapped by uh, yes for by our aliens. for yeah. our science fiction show, right. we played an episode of the Star Wars radio uh, serial that played on National Public Radio in the early eighties. Yes, and it I was great. It. Yeah, I I it thought was, it gave I a lot not, of depth. I had not heard this before at all, story. and it was excellent. It was it was very well put together. Before we move on, though. and I was severely impressed. Alex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you were um, you were abducted by aliens. Yeah. Uh, you believe that? And then and then we came no. back and just did another episode. Uh, are, are you willing to talk <laughs> about it now? About that? I know you weren't ready at the time mm. to talk yeah, about that experience. Yeah, no, it was it was traumatic. There was um, something you you were muttering in your sleep about Twinkies. No, no, it was um, it was, was that, brownie. Was that part of the. Yeah, yeah. Production uh, experience. Okay, I'll just let you well, tell the story. Okay. Well, I mean, we we can do it after after. Um, I think we've let our li- listeners, uh, you know, hear us jabber for long enough. That's I, true. I'd like I'd like to play some things. So um, I, I we'll, agree. we can come back to that. You collect um, your thoughts. And all right. I'd like to yeah. hear your harrowing account of your alien abduction. So Definitely. Uh, we would like to play for you today a few more episodes of this excellent radio serial. The first one is entitled uh, "While Giants Mark Time" and is. The, um, the the Jawa encounter from episode four. The the first episode we played from the Star Wars series was "A Wind to Shake the Stars." Yeah, the, they all have great. I, I love the title. title They're names. so hokey. They're yeah. great. Hmm. Hokey in the best way. Yes, uh, yes, hokey in absolutely the best way. So we are going to uh, go ahead and play that. That's a fine plan. In the meantime. We've got a listener challenge. So, our listener challenge today, seeing as we have a Star Wars theme, call in making the best impression of your favorite Star Wars sound. Maybe it's a lightsaber. 
Yeah, I guess it's more of a vroom than a shoo. Or maybe, or maybe it's blasters. Pew 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 it's pew, pew pew. It's more of a. Pew. I can't. I can't even do that. Or, or perhaps David, if you will, a Wookie. So listeners, call in and make a Star Wars sound for us. The best Star Wars sound that's a Tie Fighter will win fabulous prizes. So without further ado, we'd like to play for you. This exciting episode of the Star Wars radio show. But again, that number is, uh, for calling in, that number is 314-935-5987. I probably should have announced the number. Meh, but yeah, call in sometime. But in the meantime, Star Wars! While giants mock time. Star Wars, based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Episode 4, While Giants Mark Time. Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. And there came a moment in that long struggle when the hope of freedom rested not with any great hero or leader, but rather with the humblest of characters. High above the sandy wastes of the desert planet Tatooine, a pitched space battle between starships has been fought to its conclusion. The rebel leader, Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan, has been captured by the Emperor's personal agent, Darth Vader. Entrusted to deliver secret information the Princess could no longer protect is the astro-droid R2-D2. With his interpreter counterpart, C-3PO, R2 has eluded capture by leaving Leia's disabled vessel in an escape pod. Mad ideas have brought us up. Sand. Nothing but sand in every direction. Why I went along with this insane whim of yours, I still can't imagine. You ought to be grateful I got you out of that pot. I wasn't designed for that sort of brute labor. I'd have been better off taking my chances with the stormtroopers back there on the tent of fall. Wait a minute. Where are you going? Artu, wait for me. No! Oh, 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 don't you ignore me! I still haven't forgiven you for that crash landing. My Jaros is still fluttering. You see, my equilibrium is quite gone. But of course you're having trouble with this sand dune. What do you think you are, an exploration vehicle? Oh, we seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. I've simply got to rest before I fall apart. My joints are almost frozen with sand. Oh. Oh. Wait, where are you going? Over that way? Well, I'm not going over that way. It's much too rocky. I'm going this way. Oh, yes? And just what makes you so sure there are settlements over there? Don't get technical with me, you crunch. Mission, what secret plans? I 
just about had enough of this. Go that way. Go on. Here, I'll start you off. <laughs> Clogged with sand and malfunctioning within a day, you nearsighted scrap pile. Absolutely not. And don't let me catch you crawling back begging for help, because you won't get it. Nope. No more adventures. I am going this way. You're on your own from now on. <laughs> Anything to report? Nothing so far, sir. Deploy your squads along that dune ridge and stay alert. Yes, sir. Follow me, you man. You, get inside that escape pod and check it out thoroughly. Yes, sir. Rest of you spread out and search for tracks. I want the entire area secured. Let's go. We must continue until we find something, Lieutenant. Lord Vader will not accept a failure of this mission. We're checking now, Commander. You in there. What have you found? The scanner shows no sign of occupants, sir. Or of the data tapes either. I want that pod torn apart. The scanner reads negative, Lieutenant. Someone's already taken the plans and gotten away. Commander, one of the men found this near the pod. It's a plating ring from a droid, sir. Droids? That's how the plans got off the Princess ship. Lieutenant, make contact with our vessel and get more troops down here. Yes, sir. Inform Lord Vader that I'm organizing a search of the entire region. And tell him what we're hunting. Droids from the Princess Leia's ship. My joints will lock up and up over heat. No, no, this fortune has always pursued me. No, what's that over there? Something gleaming. It's, it's some kind of transport machine. Whoever they are, they'll, they'll know something about repair. Repair? They'll have lubricants. Over here! Enough. 
I don't suppose you happen to have seen anything of my counterpart, a rather short asteroid droid. Yes, yes, a machine sort of like me, about waist high to me. He was heading off in that direction the last time. What you do is stop pushing. What do you want me to do? Stand here under this conduit, like so. Might I ask what you're going to do? find anything at Anchorhead or Tashi Station. Well, maybe we could do without any help from droids, Luke. Hard work might see us through. But we're never going to be able to keep this farm at peak efficiency <clears throat> through the harvest without more help. With one or two more droids, we'd make a much bigger profit. And where do you suppose we're going to find this help if there's nothing at Anchorhead or Tashi Station? There'll be a Jawa sandcrawler through here soon. Uh, maybe they'll have something. Uh, those little scavengers... Find some piece of broken up machinery, wire it together with flexor cord and spit, and after a few hours functioning, it falls apart. Well, it wouldn't hurt to look. <sighs> yeah, I guess not. Hmm. Your aunt keeps pestering me for a domestic droid to help her around the house anyway. All right, send a signal flare up. If those Jawas are in the area, they'll come pretty quick. Great. Thanks, Uncle Owen. strangest collection of droids and robots I have ever seen. Uh, after all I've been through, to be picked up by these disgusting creatures and dumped in a sort of glorified salvage bin. I'm mortifying. What? Oh, oh, what? R2-D2! R2! It is you! It is you! Oh, r 2 They sucked you up in that horrible thing too, did they? Yes, well, those creatures who captured you, us, are called Jawas, I managed to find out. And, uh, this vehicle is referred to as a sand crawler. Oh, well, yes. That is, I, I'm afraid that I was partially at fault there. You see, I merely asked those Jawas earlier if they'd seen anything of me. I did not tell them where you were on purpose. If you must know, I was simply concerned for you, 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 you short-circuited incompetent. This is the thanks I get. Oh, we're off again. Well, how should I know where we're going? I wish they hadn't captured you. Now I'm forced to endure your insufferable company again. You... brought us out here to auction us off. We seem to be at some kind of moisture farm. Oh, look, there are humans over there. Maybe they'll purchase us. Then we'd be free of those awful Jawas. Artu, Artu, get back in line. Artu, get back in line. They'll never buy... Artu, what are you doing to that half-hike unit? Artu, 
R2-D2, you know droids are not supposed to modify other droids without human supervision. Honestly, I don't know what's got into you. Here come the humans. Get back in line. Straight off. I don't want any junkers, rebuilds, or scrap heap candidates. Oh, already got a treadwell. Don't need another. What's this? A Mark II reactor drone? I haven't used these clunkers in 20 years. Hmm. No, got no use for a power droid. Well, I might be able to use an R2 unit, but this blue one's kind of beaten up. Talks too much, too. Well, this red R5 might do, though, if the price is right. Yeah, yeah, Now, let's see. You! Sir. I suppose you're programmed for etiquette and protocol. Protocol? Why, that is my primary function, sir. I am also... Yeah, I have no use for a protocol droid. Of course not, sir. Not in a climate as hostile as this one. But might I point out that I have been programmed for over 30 secondary functions that range from... What I need is a droid that understands the binary language of moisture evaporators. Evaporators? Why, sir, my first job was programming binary load lifters. Very similar to your evaporators in many respects. Uncle Owen? Yeah? Amparu told me to tell you that if you buy a translator droid, make sure it speaks bocce. Oh, yeah, thanks, Luke. Hey, droid, you speak domestic bocce? Of course I do, sir. It's like a second language to me. I am also, if I might say, quite fluent in... Oh, shut up. Shutting up, sir. I'll take this one, too. Hey, Luke. Take this interpreter droid here and that red R5 unit down to the tech dome. Get them cleaned up by supper time. But I was going into Tashi Station for those converters we ordered. You can waste time with your idle friends when your chores are done. Now hop to it. Yes, sir. You. Yes, sir. Follow me. <laughs> Goodbye, Arthur. And you too, the red R5 unit. Well, come on, Red. Let's go. Hey, what are you... Uncle Owen? Uncle Owen? This R5 unit's got a bad motivator. Look, he blew its stack. Hey, what are you jealous trying to Excuse me, sir, unit? but that blue R2 unit over there is in prime condition. A real bargain, if I might say so. Oh, okay. Hey, Uncle Owen? Yeah? What about that little blue R2 unit? What about that one? All right, good enough. Look, take the blue one. I'm sure you and your uncle will be very pleased with that one, sir. I've worked with him before. Yeah, he yeah, would... let's go. Come on, we got some cleaning up to do. Now, don't you forget this, Arthur. Why I should stick my neck out for you is quite beyond my capacity. A fully equipped tech dome. Oh, this is paradise. Yeah, right. Well, just stand steady on that lift. I'll lower you into the oil bath. You're ready, sir. Here goes. Oh, oh, oh. How is that? Thank you, sir. Oh, 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 this feels so good. Sam, my counterpart and I are both in your debt, sir. Well, thanks, but I'd rather be at Toshi Station. At least there's something going on there. Big uh, was right. I should get myself off this old dust ball. Oh, which dust ball are we on, sir? Well, if there's a bright center to the universe, we're on the planet it's farthest from, Tatooine. I see, sir. You can call me Luke. I see, sir, Luke. Oh, just Luke. Oh, and I am C-3PO, Human Cyborg Relations, and that is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. Uh, 3PO, that's about enough of the oil bath for you. Oh, well, yes, Luke. Now let's take a look at the R2. Oh, yes. Mm. Well, R2, you've got a lot of carbon scoring here in your integrators. Let me see what I can do for you. <laughs> Looks like you two boys have seen a lot of action. With all we've been through, I'm amazed we're in as good condition as we are, considering there's a rebellion going on. What? 
You know something about the rebellion against the Empire? Well, that's how we come to be in your service, sir, if you take my meaning. Were, were you in any battles uh, over Tatooine? Several, I think. Then I did see ships firing on each other. What was it like? Actually, sir, for a droid, a space battle is largely a matter of loud noise and having humans order you out of their way. <laughs> well, your life sounds a lot more interesting than mine, 3PO. Well, R2, you got something jammed in here real good. Were you two on a star cruiser or what? Oh my goodness. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. What? what is that? A holographic projection? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. It certainly appears to be one, sir. R2, Master Luke asked you what it is. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. What do you mean, what is what? So, he says it's nothing, sir. Merely a malfunction. Old data. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. That girl. She's beautiful. Who is she? I think she was a passenger on our last voyage. A person of some importance, as I believe. Well, is there any more to this recording? Sounds like it's incomplete here. Maybe I can adjust our two so that... Hey, no, we take it easy. Our duty to behave yourself. You're going to get us into very grave trouble. You can trust him. He's our new master. He says that he is the property of Obi-Wan Kenobi, a resident of this very region. The holographic projection is part of a message for him. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Frankly, sir, with what we've been through, it's no surprise this little R2 unit has become a bit eccentric. Uh, I don't know anyone named Obi-Wan, but old Ben Kenobi lives somewhere out near the Western Dune Sea. He's kind of a local character, you know, a hermit. My uncle ran him off our property once, but I've never heard of Ben owning a droid. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. She is so... Beautiful. I wonder who she is. Well, she's in some kind of trouble, that's for sure. Maybe we better hear the rest of the message. He claims the restraining boat the Jawas put on him is inhibiting his motivational components. He suggests that if you remove the boat, he might be able to play back the entire message. Well, I guess you're too small to run away on me if I take off the bolt. Here we go. There. Hey! What happened to the holograph? Where'd she go? Play back the entire message, R2. What do you mean, what message? The one you just played for Master Luke. The one you're carrying inside your rusty innards. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, but he seems to have developed a circuitry flux. Luke! Luke! Time to get cleaned up for dinner! Uh, be right there, Aunt Beru. See what you can do with him, 3PO. Yes, sir. I'll be back right after dinner. Goodbye, Master Luke. <laughs> Just you reconsider playing that tape for him. And just mind your manners, R2, or you'll make Master Luke very angry. No, I don't think he likes you at all. No, I don't like you either. And what's the idea of showing him that tape? You knew what would work. Then, then it was all a trick to get him to take the restraining bolt off you. Why, R2-D2, that is, that is deceitful. I don't want to hear any more about secret plans or missions or everyone can know me. We're droids. It's not our place to get involved with human disputes. I think it's your motivator that's gone faulty. Now, wait a moment. Where are you going? But you can't go outside. Come back here before you get us both deactivated for good. You can't survive out there, R2. R2! Dinner's on the table, Luke. Your uncle's already started. Thanks, Aunt Peru. 
You know, Uncle Owen, mm. I think that R2 unit we bought might have been stolen. Well, what makes you think that? Hmm. Well, I was cleaning him up, and I stumbled across a part of a holographic recording. That R2 unit says he used the property of someone named Obi-Wan Kenobi. What? Kenobi? Yeah. I thought he might have meant old Ben Kenobi. Do you know who he's talking about? Maybe it's somebody related to Ben. No, that old man's just a crazy wizard. Oh, take that R2 unit into Anchorhead and have its memory flushed. Well, what if this Obi-Wan comes looking for him? I don't think he exists anymore. He, uh, he died about the same time as your father. You mean Obi-Wan knew Luke, my father? Luke, I told you to forget it. I don't want you talking to strangers about our family, and I don't want anyone filling your head with this made-up nonsense. But Uncle Owen... I mean it, Luke. Uh, in the morning, I want those new droids up on that south ridge working. Yes, sir. You know, uh, I think those two new droids are going to work out just fine. In fact, uh, I'm thinking of sending my application to the Academy for this year. That's before the harvest. Yeah, but uh, you've got more than enough droids. The harvest is when I need you the most. It's only one more season. This year we'll make enough money so I'll be able to hire on some hands. You can go to the Academy next year. But Owen... Now, Mrs., this is between Luke and me. Oh, boy, it's going to be a whole nother year. It's only one more season. Yeah. It's just what you said when Biggs left for the Academy. Luke, you haven't finished your dinner. Where are you going? Nowhere, it looks like. Well, I've got some work to do on those droids. Owen, hmm? Luke can't stay here forever. I'll make it up to him next year. I promise. Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He's got too much of his father in him. And you won't be able to put that subject off forever either. Luke's going to want to know the truth. I'm going to protect him for as long as I can. But you can't live his life for him, Owen. I only wish I could, Baru. I only wish I could. Two. Where are they? Crazy droid. You can't leave them alone for a minute. Let me see. Where did I leave that restraining bolt activator? Oh, oh please. Wait. Oh, come on. Please don't deactivate. 3PO, what are you doing hiding behind the land speeder? And where's R2? It wasn't my fault, sir. I, I couldn't stop him. What? I told R2 not to go, but I think it's his motivator oh, no. malfunctioning. He was babbling on about his mission. I've got to find him. The, but... Master Luke, uh, he went ages ago. Uh, Master Luke! Uh, 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 Master Luke, I... Oh. Boy, I can't see him out there anywhere, even with the macro binoculars. How could he have gotten so far? Oh, you can hardly blame yourself, sir. He's become, well, very devious recently. Plastic. But pardon me, sir, couldn't we go after him? No, it'd be too dangerous, what with all the sand people in the area. We're gonna have to wait till morning. Oh. I'll be right there, Uncle Owen. Boy, am I going to get it. That little droid friend of yours is going to cause me a lot of trouble. Oh, he excels at that, sir. Well, at first light, we'll take my land speeder and pick up his trail. Oh, 
Maybe we can get him back before Uncle Owen finds out. I'm sure we will recover him tomorrow, sir. Then your troubles will be solved. Somehow, I think all I'm going to get is a new set of troubles. R2-D2, faithfully carrying out the mission given to him by the Princess Leia Organa, inadvertently draws Luke Skywalker into the Rebellion's most desperate crisis. Merciless Imperial agents are scouring Tatooine for the droid and his secret, while across the desert there waits the enigma of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Tomorrow will be a day like no other in Luke Skywalker's young life. One in six children in America lives in poverty. That's nearly 13 million children who need your help. Make a difference. Go to povertyusa.org and get involved. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development and KWUR 90.3 FM. You're listening to KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. And this is, of course, the K-Worth Theater of the Air. My name is David Brunel-Brotman. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm Alex Jensen. And over here is our lovely intern, Rafael Garcia Febles. Actually a goat. Actually a goat. Who has been transmogrified into a goat. How are you, goat? Tell me one more time that you feel lost in my eyes. Wait, that wasn't a goat at all. That doesn't sound like a goat to me. That was Shakira. Oh my goodness. That goat is Shakira. Let me just pull uh, off this mask. There's a, Sh- a Shakira and goats. Oh my gosh! Clothing. I really think- is she? Bah, bah. Well, I-, I think this is as good a time as any to perhaps remind listeners uh, about our <laughs> website and podcast. <laughs> if you want more of Shakira being That's true. Uh, revealed to be a goat, <laughs> or a goat being revealed to be Shakira, you can. Uh, Layers. your browser over to our website. Layers of nested meaning. <laughs> which is k-w-u-r-radiotheater.wordpress.com. It's like, it's like a burrito at the end of a labyrinth. That's how many layers of meaning. Like a really wrapped up one made of phyllo pastry. Mm. Such what is that, such that you it, can? Help. You know what? I, no, I don't want to ask you that. Well, I mean, it's sort of cross-cultural. It's not like you'd actually make a burrito out of phyllo dough. Yeah, it's I, what they make spanakopita out of, right? I don't know what that Greek is. Greek food, the, the little spinach pies. Okay, fine. I, uh, we went to that, that Lebanese place and they had spinach pies. Is that spanakopita in Greek food? I have no memory of this. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if if you want more discussion of Greek pies and goats <laughs> who are actually Shakira. <laughs> 
check out our website. The and theater of the air. You can also certainly uh, you can also certainly search for our podcast on iTunes, which is uh, just search for Kaywer, and yeah. you will find us. Today's theme is Star Wars, as you may have guessed from the last thing that we played, which was an episode of the Star Wars radio serial. Um, and now our very own. I, I believe. Yes, I believe Alex has a story for us. Take it away, I Alex. Actually, well, before I do that, I want to remind everybody that we do have a listener challenge. Um, we do have a listener challenge. That's right. Yes. So if you guys want to call in with your um, impression of your favorite Star Wars sound um, or impression of your favorite character, I guess whatever, um, go ahead and call in. That um, number is please. 314-935-KWUR. Again, that's 314-935-5987. Yeah, and uh, don't call while we're playing something uh, because we definitely want to... We want to, to have you on the air. We want to embarrass you oh, you know, in front of everyone. So, <laughs> If it's good, you'll win a goat. <laughs> you will win a Shakira goat. You'll win a Shakira goat. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it is story time with Alex. I can't talk over that. That's just obnoxious. That's your, in, that's your intro <laughs> that, music. That was we, it. We okay. didn't bring the CD this uh, time. Yeah, um, that's okay. Um, actually, I have three very small Star Wars-related stories to tell you. None of them are life-threatening, sadly, like my previous okay. uh, can I Can I intro each of them? Yes. Can I go, Star Wars story number one, go! All right. Wait, you go Star Wars story number one, and then I'll play like a short little... Star Wars story number one, go! All right, so this one time... I was at Disney World with my family, and um, we were in line for the Star Tours ride. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. That ride made me so motion sick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Continue. My, my dad doesn't do well on that one either. Um, anyway, it's a lot of fun. That That's not the point. Um, I guess I only have uh, two stories because this one kind of is uh, the same. Anyway, uh, that... <laughs> So we're waiting in line, and my brother and I are um, talking about something. I don't know. All of a sudden, um, we realize that uh, two of the people in front of us are having this intense argument over whether or not um, trash from a Star Destroyer can uh, do damage to some other large Star Wars space you know, what, like ship. a Mon Calamari cruiser? Something? Yeah, something like that. They were having the discussion as to whether or not, you know, the trash that was released from one of these Like, um, Like if ships. it's just floating around, it right. smacks into another ship. Exactly. It but it was an intense, intense discussion. Well, those and, are flat planes of garbage, <laughs> and, you know? No. Well, at least the ones that come out of the, the Death Star. And they argued for the whole 25 minutes we were in line, and... It was the funniest thing that I've ever heard. And they both had lisps. Do you believe this? <laughs> I believe it. They both talked like this. And they're like, a Star Destroyer could never do that to a, you know, Was it a Super star. star Destroyer versus a regular Star Destroyer? You know what? Regular Imperial. It was probably you, wasn't it, David? It was probably <laughs> you. It was you all those years ago in front of me in line. Was Look, it- I, haven't been a, I haven't been a Disney World since I was three. Okay, was it Darth Vader's flagship? The, I, I feel like Darth Vader's <laughs> yeah, flagship has a name like the Imperator or the yes, Executor. It does? It's one of those. It's either the Imperator or the Executor. I, I don't remember. 
I haven't so read was enough, it Darth Vader's flagship, the Imperator? Oh my gosh, you guys! Nemo swimming out into the open ocean. <laughs> sea. Okay. Open sea. Is that story number one? Is that this... that was story number point five. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. Continue. Story number one point five. Go. So, sorry, my bad. Um, so, same same day, same ride. Um, we we get to the the quote unquote docking bay where we are about to um, embark on our, on our journey through through space, and we're waiting in line, and we're we're. Was it docking bay ninety four? No, oh. it wasn't. I think it it was like three or something. Uh, <laughs> So we were waiting. We're almost on the ride. We're still laughing about these um, these gentlemen, these nerdy, nerdy gentlemen who both who so both so. happened to be very unattractive, and were wearing Star Wars T-shirts. It was just the most ridiculous thing. Anyway, uh, so we're still talking about that. All of a sudden, guess who comes out of the the entrance door? Are we guessing? Guess. Uh, Mark Hamill. George Lucas. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Darth Vader, followed by four stormtroopers. <laughs> I'm not joking. They they walk out like of the door. We're about to go in, and they just they just kind of they just kind of walk like they they just they walk down the hallway and they go into some other door like like it like, ain't no thing. Like not in character. Like like in I mean you know oh, okay. in character like they were just walking and um, it was amazing and. <laughs> Unexpected. That has never happened before, and I have been going on that ride since I was five years old. That's really funny. So um, wait, did did they like menace you or? No. Well, actually, they they just walked. It was it was actually kind of scary because Darth Vader was huge. Like he was really tall. Did they aggress you? No, no, they did not aggress me. But this woman in line behind us yelled, "Hey, Vader! I'm your daughter!" And I wanted to punch her face. Because and, and and I turned around and I said, "You don't say that to Lord Vader." And <laughs> really- I did, and because I thought it was disrespectful. I mean, come on, the guy, the guys, you the know, guy worked hard to get where he is. <laughs> he did. He had he to slaughter kill thousands of innocents. He had to yes. kill all of the younglings. <laughs> exactly. You don't say something like that to Darth Vader. And and so I turned around and I showed her who was boss. Not just the men, but the women and the children too. They're animals. And I slaughtered the vultures. I'm sorry, Hayden Christensen. You got something in your face? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have we have Hayden Christensen in the studio now. He has replaced Shakira as our guest today, and he has some choice. Uh, Words to say through his teeth to us. When when Hayden Christensen was an adolescent, he didn't have braces. He just had angst. <laughs> you mean he closed his jaw so hard that his teeth just automatically straightened. They fused together like the sacral vertebrae on a... Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. On a therosaur? On a, on a theropod. Theropod? Dinosaur jokes. Jokes for nerds. Jokes for nerds. Jokes for nerds. Okay, do we have a second Star Wars story? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I do. So Star Wars story number two! Go! What the heck was that? I was um, trying to think of the Rogue Squadron music. Uh it'll come to me. Anyway, uh so when the um the third installment of the new Star Wars films came out, I 
I went to the midnight showing because um, that's just what I do. And um, yes, I I brought my lightsaber and my most cape-like you know thing I could find because I love to dress up at these things. Um, I I do not endorse the newest three Star Wars, New. but it was still fun. Anyway, uh, everyone's dressed up. You know, it's it's a freaking free for all. I'm in the theater. It's the biggest theater there. It's not even it's not even the only one that's playing the movie. There's like three other ones that are awesome. playing this movie, and um. About an hour before the show started, someone decided it would be a good idea to have, like, lightsaber battles at the front of the theater. I agree. Yes. And so <laughs> I um, I decided, hey, I only live once. I'm going to go down there. And so I went down there with my friend Sarah, and we both have our lightsabers, and we're in these capes. And we're, we had this lightsaber battle in the front of, like, a, a hundred <laughs> plus people. And, you know, I, I've got to say that that was probably the equivalent to these Star Wars nerds of, like, us being in bikinis and wrestling in mud. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know what happened, of course. They all went home and they're like, oh, man, episode three, it was pretty good. It was sort of disappointing. I don't know how I felt about it. But those chicks in the but pre-show, But in the beginning, dude, yeah. we were waiting in line and these two hot chicks started having a lightsaber fight. <laughs> hot chicks, yeah. lightsaber. No, dude, ex- exactly. You know how it could have been better? With an application of a little bit of popcorn butter. I'm just saying. That sounds foul. I'm just yeah. putting that out there. It sounds delicious. Anyway, so we're having... For, for, for those of you listeners out there, Alex is tremendously hot. Uh, Well, my voice is. I can't bear to, like, I touch don't, her. I don't exist beyond my voice. This my is the radio day. My burns when I touch like, I, her, I think, her hand. No, I think your voice conveys enough of, enough information. Oh, I remembered I remembered the, um, for the, the Rogue Squadron theme. All right, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So anyway, we're having this lightsaber battle up there, and you know we're 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 having fun. You know. Oh, there's more. There, there's more. There's okay. more. We're I'm having sorry. fun. You know, whatever. All of a sudden, this crazy guy who probably thinks he's a Jedi runs. Sprints from like the top of the theater down onto what? the the part where we were, um, you know, having this battle, and just starts like kicking my a- um, butt, and uh, <laughs> you know, like like just swinging so hard with his lightsaber, like you know, he hit my back and my leg, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he he really he really want got into it, and like you know was like, I'm gonna show these chicks who's boss. They don't know how a real lightsaber battle goes. He probably thought he was hitting on you. I well, well he, he was, was quite literally. I have the bruises to prove it. <laughs> hey, but um, thank you. Um, what's the sound so, of two Jawas and a pair of Sybils falling out of a tree? Star Wars humor. <laughs> Wrong. There are no there are no trees on Tatooine. Oh, everybody's crap. too poor for trees. Yeah. Anyway, I'm still not done. So even even after after this happens, this yes. crazy, you know. Anyway, it was ridiculous. You had to have been there. I, I can't convey it in words. So you did a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, so we go back and sit down, and you know how they project like advertisements now before um, mm-hmm. you know the show actually starts. Well, apparently, there was this guy sitting in the very back row who was dressed from head to toe as Darth Vader. And every time 
he stood up during the advertisements. You could see his silhouette on the screen, yes. and everyone started roaring with applause and just cheering every time this guy stood up. And it was the funniest thing so great. that I've ever experienced, you know, because it's just all these nerdy people. And they're like, yeah, Vader, dude. And it was crazy. And those are my Star Wars stories. I know that, you know, they're they're not, not um, nearly pretty as, good. They, they're, they're OK. They're OK. They're not literally as life threatening as some previous stories. Right. Although but, that, yeah. that got, crazy Jedi. We got Jedi. a catchphrase out of it, though. We Did we? You don't say that about Lord Vader. <laughs> yes, you don't, you say, don't that say that to about Lord Vader. You don't say that to, <laughs> to Lord. Lord Vader. You don't say that to Lord Vader. Okay, so, so we're not gonna make it. As a recap, as a recap, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> uh, cat, that was catchphrase number one. Catchphrase number two. I think we lost him. Catchphrase number three. You don't, you don't say, say that to Lord Vader. Vader. Yes, we get one from every story I tell. Okay, this, well, this ladies we and should gentlemen write them down somewhere. has been story time with Alex Jensen. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was good. So, what, what what do we got next? Next, take a break. We'll take a break. Good idea. We'll, and and of course, we'll be back with more exciting uh, Star Wars related content here. On the K-Word Theater of the Air. Huzzah. But in case that scares you away, we have more stuff also. It's not all just Star Wars. Well, we're going to do some... Uh, some history. St- yes, some history. It'll be educational. It'll be awesome. You're listening to the K-Word Theater of the Air. What is that?
and we return. We, uh, sorry, we were in the middle of a heated conversation about which of the uh, the Star Wars movies were the best. Yes. You're listening to K-Word Theater of the Air here on 90.3 FM Clayton. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm David Brunel Brutman. I'm Alex Jensen. Over here's a goat. Oh. <laughs> oh. Sorry. It's, sorry. It's, it's sorry. been alternately We thought it was evening. a goat, but it was actually Hayden Christensen. But before that, it was Shakira. We have I'm a doppelganger confused. in the uh, in the station. Yes, we have a doppelganger slash intern. Doppelganger. And Where today, does the umlaut go. Of course, Over we're doing uh, we're doing Hilarious. a Star Wars theme. Yes. So naturally, we were talking about which Star Wars movie is the best. I think we are all of the opinion that The Empire Strikes Back is the best of the movies. Um, how you feeling out there in Radio Land? Contentious? Call us, 314-935-5987. Yes. And also, if you would like to participate in our listener challenge, which this week, in line with our theme, is call in and make your best Star Wars sound. Do your, your best impression of your favorite Star Wars sound, whatever that is. TIE Fighters. Lightsabers. <laughs> Wookiees. <laughs> Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Whatever it is. Colin, we will uh, declare one of them a winner. So, we're talking about Star Wars. But it begs the question... I think, where did Star Wars come from? I mean... What do you it, mean? It seems like like uh, such a phenomenon and <laughs> such, like, you know, you hear people saying, yeah, when Star Wars came out in the 70s, we had never seen anything like it in the world before. It was just, like, this amazing thing, and there was nothing like it. But really... Nice, those are. There are a lot of things like it. There are a lot of... <laughs> there's a lot of material that influenced... Star Wars, and I would argue that one of the biggest influences was Flash Gordon, which was this wonderful media, I don't even know what, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, juggernaut or, or, or Hydra. I'm going to go with <laughs> Hydra because there were, uh, it was, what, what did it start out? It started out as a comic, right? I believe so. It started out as a, a comic running in newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it became a radio serial. And then it became a series of films. And did it eventually become a television show? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it did. I don't think it did. I could um, be wrong. But then it became that great movie with the Queen soundtrack. And, and then it became a movie with the Queen soundtrack. So, Savior of the universe. Flash Gordon was, if I have my dates correct, the original comic was in, uh, I, I want to say it started in 26, about the, the late 20s, the mm-hmm. Flash Gordon comic starts, the uh, radio serial starts not long after, and this sort of became the definitive idea of adventure science fiction, yes? Yes. And very heavily influenced... Star Wars, sort of slightly campy, uh, heroic adventure style. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, everybody knows the opening crawl of Star Wars, of course. Mm-hmm. That crawl 
comes directly from the Flash Gordon movies from the 1930s. You know, they had the exact same thing, a, a, a prologue receding, uh, lines of words receding into the background, just like in the beginning of, the beginning of Star Wars. So that's a direct reference to Flash Gordon. So, naturally, being a radio theater show, we're going to play some of the Flash Gordon radio show. I agree. So I think you'll be interested to see <laughs> just in the first line, hmm. the first line that the narrator says, I think will thoroughly show you the delightful hokiness of this thing. It's, it's full of camp, and I think you'll see the kind of weird science fiction fantasy mm. origins of Star Wars in this. Let's do it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you an episode of Flash Gordon. Presenting the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. Last week, Flash Gordon returned from a raid on Queen Azura's palace and received another electrical treatment from Dr. Zarkov to make him invisible. The treatment was extra strong so that Flash could stay longer for his next raid on the palace. Meanwhile, Azura recovered from the lithium potion which Khan had given her, and thus his spot was discovered. Azura then ordered Khan locked up, but her commands had just been obeyed when news was brought that the avenging shadow had arrived at the palace. Although Azura had stationed guards shoulder to shoulder in front of the door to her quarters, Flash made his way inside and overpowered Tall. Then, as the soldiers broke down the door at Azura's cry for help and attempted to corner him, Flash leaped to the windowsill and held them at bay with Tall's ray pistol. Then Flash warned Azura that her soldiers and her magic were useless against the avenging shadow and that he would return. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the big full-page Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, each page printed in full colors, is distributed everywhere as an integral part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Now we continue the story. Flash Gordon delivers his defiance of Queen Azura. He leaps through the window. Instantly, the Witch Queen turns to the captain of the guard. After him, Captain. That shadow is Flash Gordon. Yes, Your Majesty. After him, soldiers. Well, why don't you shoot at him, Captain? We can't see him, Your Majesty. He just leaped out of that window. He can't be far away. True, Your Majesty. But if we can't see him, how can we tell where he is? Oh, fool. You saw the ray pistol he held in his hand when he stood there on the windowsill. Why can't you see the pistol now? That ought to show you his position. But, Your Majesty, the pistol is nowhere in sight. He must have thrown it away. <laughs> I'm Flash Gordon. Why don't you come and get me? There, that was his voice. Where did it come from? Down there, Your Majesty. But we can't be sure where. Can't be sure? Fire a volley down there. You may hit him. It is useless, Your Majesty. He may have run in any one of four directions. There is no use wasting ammunition by firing at nothing. Very well, Captain. He threatened to return. If he does, as a shadow or as a man, you are to shoot to kill. Do you understand? Yes, Your Majesty. If we see him, 
We will shoot him down. Flash Gordon is invisible, but he is alive and whole, the same as we are. You can't see him, but you may be able to touch him. Shoot straight for the voice when you hear it again. That ought to put an end to Flash Gordon. Yes, Your Majesty. Return to quarters, men. Forward. Move. Are you all right? Oh, God! Bring that portable revivifier here and revive General Tall. Yes, Your Majesty. Any sign of his coming through? Not yet, Majesty. Keep that machine working. General Tall must not die. Meanwhile, back in the woods surrounding the herdsman's cottage, Zarkov hurries to the aid of Dale Arden. Dale! What has happened? Where are you? Dale! Oh, come quickly, Dr. Zarkov. I'm... I'm coming to you, Dale, as fast as I can. And ape man. Do not struggle, Dale. Relax, and the ape man will think you are dead. Then it will drop you. That's it. Now lie still. I will draw its attention away from you. Now, are you all right, Dale? Yes, I, I'm all right. Now, I'll just put an end to this fellow with my axe, so he won't bother us anymore. <coughs> oh! Oh, he's got you, Dr. Darko. Give me the axe. I cannot, Dale. The beast has it crushed between us. I, I, I cannot get it free. Hold it off a few minutes longer, Dr. Zarkov. Where? Where are you going, Dale? To get your ray pistol. Dale! Dale! I am getting weak. I'm free, Dale. Shoot! You hit it! Now kill it! Aim a little below its left shoulder! You got it! Oh, good shooting, Dale. My, that was a close call for both of us. It certainly was, Dr. Zarkov. Now that it's all over... I'm rather weak. Oh, come, come. Do not faint now, Dale. You are all right. Take some deep breaths of air. Ah, that's right. How do you feel now? I guess I'll be all right now, thanks. Good. My, what a big creature this ape man is. He is too big to move. So we will just let him lie where he is. I wonder if there's a tribe of them around here. There may be. Perhaps we'd better move to some other place as soon as Flash comes back. I'd almost forgotten, Flash. How long was he intending to be gone this time, Dr. Zarkov? He did not say, but it should not be much longer. That electrical charge will soon be wearing off. Oh, I hope Flash won't be foolish enough to stay too long. You warned him about the risk of the charge wearing off. Yes, Dale. And Flash promised he would not take any unnecessary chances. 
But he may be cornered in some part of the palace and be unable to return. That is true, Dale. Oh, Dr. Zarkov, let's go to Flash. Let's go and see what's happened to him. I can't stay here and not know. Steady, steady, Dale. You are just nervous and upset. Flash intended staying away longer than usual this time. We must be patient. All right, Dr. Zarkov. You know best. I'll wait for him. That is the way to talk, Dale. Uh, come now. We have not finished getting our firewood. You pick up the pieces of wood as I chop them off. The guard continues to work over the unconscious General Tall. Suddenly, his efforts are rewarded by... Queen Azora. Queen Azora. You have revived him. Good. You may go now. Yes, Your Majesty. Oh. Uh, I am with you, Your Majesty. I... I... Uh, where am I? What happened? Oh, my head. The shadow hit you over the head with a flagon. Yes, uh, now I remember. The shadow. You were struggling with it. Where is it? I'll pin it to the wall. It's gone, Tal. It was Flash Gordon, made invisible by some magic of that Earth scientist. I wish I had had a chance to get at that Flash Gordon. You did, and he knocked you unconscious. Curse him. My turn will come. What happened to the door? The soldiers broke it down trying to capture Flash Gordon. All the guards you posted out there couldn't catch him? No. They marched across the room shoulder to shoulder, driving the shadow before them. And suddenly he spoke from that window sill. Now, fools, why didn't they shoot as they marched? Yell them at bay with your ray pistol. If only I'd been able to take charge, no ray pistol would have stopped me from capturing him. A flagon did. Oh, I was taken by surprise. I, I hadn't time to draw my ray pistol. Uh, you should have called me sooner, Azura. Well, you will have another chance at him, Charles. He'll return. How do you know that, Your Majesty? He told me so just before he left. I know how we can capture him, Your Majesty. It is an indirect method, but it can be most effective. What is it, Carl? How can we capture him? There is no way of making a person permanently invisible any more than you can make the drug of forgetfulness permanent. Go on, Carl. You mean that... Sometime the magic will wear off and have to be repeated. I see what you mean. Mm. You can get the shadow cornered in a room that has only one door. Lock the door for a long enough time and Flash Gordon will become visible again. Yes, that is one way, Your Majesty, but not the method I am suggesting. Then I do not follow you, Charles. What is your method? While we are waiting for the shadow to reappear, why not capture the source of the magic power? Wonderful. That is a wonderful plan, Charles. How can you do this? Not very easily, Your Majesty. Of course, we shall take every measure to capture the shadow within the palace. But in the meantime, I shall take a company of soldiers and personally discover and capture that earth magician, Zarkov, the scientist. As Tao plots to capture Dr. Zarkov and the scientist and Dale anxiously await Flash Gordon's return, a solitary guard paces back and forth before the iron bars of the cell in which Khan, the Hawkman, has been put for safekeeping. As the guard pauses and rests his weight on his flame rifle, it is suddenly snatched from under his arm and thrust into his stomach as a voice from nowhere asks, Is Captain Khan alive? The shadow. Oh, yes, yes. 
Yes, he is alive. Tell me where he is. Or you die. Oh, yes. Khan is in this cell. Khan, are you all right? Yes, I'm all right. Is that you, Flash? Yes, Khan. Stand clear of the door. I'm going to melt the lock with this flame rifle. Right. And you'd better stay right where you are, guard, if you want to live. I said you'd come back, Flash. They tried to make me think you and the others had deserted me. Desert, my friend? Never. I came back especially to find you, Khan. We had to leave suddenly. They were melting down our door. There was no time to waste. That's just what I thought had happened, Flash. How is Princess Dale and Dr. Zarkov? They're well and safe. You'll see them presently. Ah, the lock is almost melted. Good. I almost got control of the palace while you were gone. I dug the Zula again, but the medium wore off, and my plot was discovered. That's why I'm here. That was too bad, Khan. For a while, it worked beautifully. I had that devil call thinking I was a Zula's friend. I just gave him something to remember me by. I broke a flagon over his head. Too bad it wasn't his head you broke. I'm not sure I didn't. There wasn't any time to waste finding out, though. The soldiers were on top of me. Ah, there. The lock is melted through. Come on out, Khan. That's fine, Flash. I certainly am glad to see you. I... Why, where are you? Flash. Flash. <laughs> Don't look so startled, Khan. Where are you? I hear you, but I can't see you. Darkoff's newest invention made me invisible. Here, take this gun while I bind the guard. By cow, it certainly is odd to see a rifle suspended in the air. Isn't it? I've been having great sport with the soldiers. Help! Azura! Help! Shut up, guard! i you for that. Oh. You won't be using that voice of yours for a while. Hurry, Flash. That cry may bring Azora. Have you got him? Yeah. Flash. Eh? What is it, Khan? I can see your hands. No, you can't. Zarkov warned me the electrical rays would wear off. We must hurry now. There's no time to lose. Here comes Azora with some more guards. You hold them back with that rifle. I'm going to capture Azora while their attention is centered on you. Stand back, you soldiers of the witch. I'm in charge here. Keep your distance. Stay where you are. How did he get out of that cell? Put him down, men. What are you waiting for? As the soldiers battle Khan's merciless fire with the flame rifle, Azura suddenly finds herself grasped by two phantom hands. Oh! It's battle! At last, Azura! I've got you in my power! Next Sunday, you will find these adventures graphically portrayed in full-color action pictures in the Comic Weekly, which is distributed with your Hearst Sunday newspaper. See all these characters and gain the added thrill of knowing them by sight as well as by voice. Flash Gordon, Dale Arden, and Dr. Zarkov, who are from this Earth, and Tall, Azura, Khan, and others who are inhabitants of the planet Bongo, where our story takes place. You will also meet old favorites like Barney Google, Toots and Casper, the Cats and Yammer Kids, and many others. So be sure to get the colorful and entertaining Comic Weekly each week with your Hearst Sunday newspaper. And next week at the same time, we'll be back with another chapter in the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon.
Hey there, folks. You're listening to K-Worth Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM, Clayton. We are currently having a Star Wars-themed episode here on Theater of the Air, and what you just heard was an episode of Flash Gordon, the radio slow, radio slow, radio show slash comic slash film serial from the 30s that arguably inspired the whole of the Star Wars saga. So we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back with more exciting Star Wars and radio theater-related content here on K-Worth Theater of the Air.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is the K-Word Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM. Clayton, the K stands for quality. It sure does. Yes, it does. And also, medical mistakes claim tens of thousands of lives every year. The healthcare community is working on it, but you can help. Doctors can't answer if you don't ask. Help reduce your risk. Questions are the answer. Learn the 10 questions you must ask. Visit www.ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Word. Word up. So it's Star Wars week here. It is Star Wars week indeed. And we're not just talking about Star Wars. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're talking about... Everything in our culture that led up to Star Wars. Ooh. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about things, well, I'm not totally kidding. We're talking about <laughs> things that generally influenced Star Wars. Earlier, we played Flash Gordon. I left my copy of Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces at home. That segment will have to go. Too bad. Sorry. Yes, uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, of course, detailing the you know, classical heroic narrative uh, which heavily influenced George Lucas and upon which Star Wars is based. But Star Wars is also very directly influenced by Flash Gordon, which is what we I was just saying we played earlier, uh, an episode of the radio serial Flash Gordon. And Flash Gordon was influenced very directly by a series of books called the Mars uh, series, mm-hmm. By Edgar Rice Burroughs, also famous as the author of Tarzan. My mother informs hmm. me that they used to broadcast the, uh, the Flash Gordon serials on television. Ah, okay. So, it, it, yeah, so Flash Gordon was, in fact, a comic, a radio serial, a uh, television show, and a series of movies. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if she clarified whether or not there was the oh, movies oh. being rebroadcast. Okay, so we don't know. No. I'll but they were on that. television. Yes. It, conquered, <laughs> it conquered all forms of entertainment media. In its day. And now internet radio. And now it's on the internet. Yeah, now it's on internet radio. Thanks to us. So there was this series of books uh, beginning with a book called A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs of Tarzan fame. And these books are delightful. You can find them all on Wikipedia. uh, Or sorry, sorry, on um, what's the uh, Wikisource? Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever Wikipedia's documents thing is, if you search it on Wikipedia, there's a link to the actual book. So you can find the full text of the book online, and it is delightful. It's this this campy, hokey adventure novel starring uh, a man by the name of John Carter, who becomes John Carter of Mars when he is mysteriously transported to the Red Planet sometime uh in the late 19th century, in the late 1800s. And once there, he encounters a tribe of the savage green Martians who are these horrible multi-limbed monsters um, who have this this tribal warrior society. And he impresses them enough to join their ranks. And then he discovers that there are also red Martians who are, they look like people with uh, red skin. I, I don't know if they're supposed to be in any way related to Native Americans. I there think might it's be just some supposed weird to be like subtext. red, like bright red. I think they're supposed to be like, yeah, like a 
like the a red men of Mars. Like actually red. Though in the beginning of the book, he does get chased by Indians, by Native Americans, yes. into a cave. Is he? Is wow. he a former like Union soldier? Is He's that a former the... Confederate soldier. Confederate soldier. <laughs> yes, he okay. is a former gentleman of the old South. In fact, interesting. And he ends up on Mars, Indeed. where he encounters this green Martian culture. And, and this red Martian culture. The and red on Martians, Mars, right? He, he's he's got super strength. Yes, because he's from Earth. Mars, which has lower gravity, uh, because he's from Earth, he can jump really high and really far. Yep. Wow! And do incredible feats, feats of, of strength, strength because of the much lower gravity on Mars. Awesome! Uh, I think in reality, Martian gravity is like. Uh, uh, Isn't it one three, sixth? I was no? going to say three quarters. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. See, I don't even know. I'm just making stuff up. Maybe I'm thinking of the moon. Is the moon one sixth Earth's gravity? I thought it was a third. Uh, so, uh, I one, fail. one fourth? I, I've never been good with fractions. So. We, we'll I've look, never been good with the moon. I've never been good we'll with We'll look the it up. Moon. We're talking about Mars. Gravity. And, or Mars. Or Mars. <laughs> Definitely never. Anyway, the whole plot of the story revolves around he meets this beautiful red Martian princess. And on Mars, first of all, everybody is naked. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody is naked except for this, like, ridiculous, elaborate jewelry that they all wear. Which and, connotes their status, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Like, when you kill a Martian warrior, you take his metal, which is uh, a symbol of his rank. And by wearing this warrior's jewelry, they know who you've killed. That's how our political that's system not should work. No, it is not. They should have fisticuffs and then steal each other's, like, underpants. But that's not important. What is important is that he meets this beautiful princess named Deja Thoris, and she is a princess of a city-state called Helium. Helium is at war with a city-state called Zobanga. Zodanga. Zodanga. Sorry, Zodanga. Is at war with a city-state called Zodanga. Okay, before we start reading, we should all decide on what a Martian accent is. I'm trying to give our listeners some backstory, David. For the love of Jesus Christ on Mars. (laughs) Uh, Let me speak. I'm sorry. Uh, So these two city-states are at war, and Princess Deja Thoris, the super hottie, gets kidnapped by the people of Zodanga, the rival city-state, and it is John Carter's mission to rescue her. Uh, Sounds a little like Star Wars, don't you think? Yeah. So we're going to read you an excerpt from this book. We're going to read you one of the chapters from this book that I think is pretty representative of the style of it. You'll see. The book itself was written uh, in 1912, and... It's dated. <laughs> so okay, so so John Carter has a Southern accent. Martians sound like what? Consensus vote. People, uh, people. They sound normal, David. Well, what's a Martian accent? There's no Martian accent. There is no Martian. Accent. There, there are no such no. things. Uh, also, I'll just match whatever you do. Also, else. the native Martians refer to their planet not as Mars but as Barsoom. B a r s o o m. Barsoom. Barsoom. Great. So without further ado, I believe Alex will begin reading for us a, uh, this is chapter, what is it, 21? 21. This is chapter 21 of A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Enjoy. Chapter 21, An Air Scout for Zodanga. 
As I proceeded on my journey towards Zodanga, many strange and interesting sights arrested my attention, and at the several farmhouses where I stopped I learned a number of new and instructive things concerning the methods and manners of Barsoom. The water which supplies the farms of Mars is collected in immense underground reservoirs at either pole from the melting ice caps and pumped through long conduits to the various populated centers. Along either side of these conduits, and extending their entire length, lie the cultivated districts. These are divided into tracts of about the same size, each tract being under the supervision of one or more government officers. Instead of flooding the surface of the fields, and thus wasting immense quantities of water by evaporation, the precious liquid is carried underground through a vast network of small pipes directly to the roots of the vegetation. The crops upon Mars are always uniform, for there are no droughts, no rains, no high winds, and no insects or destroying birds. On this trip, I tasted the first meat I had eaten since leaving Earth, large, juicy steaks and chops from the well-fed domestic animals of the farms. Also, I enjoyed luscious fruits and vegetables, but not a single article of food which was exactly similar to anything on Earth. Every plant and flower and vegetable and animal has been so refined by ages of careful scientific cultivation and breeding that the like of them on Earth dwindled into pale, gray, characterless nothingness by comparison. At a second stop, I met some highly cultivated people of the noble class, and while in conversation we chanced to speak of helium. One of the older men had been there on a diplomatic mission several years before and spoke with regret of the conditions which seemed destined over to keep these two countries at war. Helium, he said, rightly boasts the most beautiful women of Barsoom, and of all her treasures the wondrous daughter of Mors Kajak, Deja Thoris, is the most exquisite flower. Why, he added, the people really worship the ground she walks upon, and since her loss on that ill-starred expedition, all helium has been draped in mourning. That our ruler should have been attacked, and the disabled fleet as it was returning to helium, was but another of his awful blunders, which I fear will sooner or later compel Zodanga to elevate a wiser man to his place. Even now... Through our victorious armies are surrounding Helium, the people of Zodanga are voicing their displeasure, for the war is not a popular one, since it is not based on right or justice. Our forces took advantage of the absence of the principal fleet of Helium on their search for the princess, and so we have been able easily to reduce the city to a sorry plight. It is said she will fall within the next few passages of the further moon." And what, think you, may have been the fate of this princess, Deja Thoris, I asked, as casually as possible. She is dead, he answered. This much was learned from a green warrior recently captured by our forces in the south. She escaped from the hordes of Thark with a strange creature of another world, only to fall into the hands of the Warhoons. Their throats were found wandering upon the sea bottom, and evidences of a bloody conflict were discovered nearby. While this information was in no way reassuring, neither was it at all conclusive proof of the death of Dejah Thoris. So I determined to make every effort possible to reach Helium as quickly as I could, and carry to Tardos Moors such news of his granddaughter's possible whereabouts as lay in my power. Ten days after leaving the three Tor brothers, I arrived at Zodanga. From the moment that I had come in contact with the red inhabitants of Mars, I had noticed that Woola drew a great amount of unwelcome attention to me, since the huge brute belonged to a species which is never domesticated by the red men. Were one to stroll down Broadway with a Numian, Numidian lion at his heels, the effect would be somewhat similar to that which I have produced had I entered Zodanga with Woola. 
The very thought of parting with the faithful fellow caused me so great regret and genuine sorrow that I put it off until just before we arrived at the city's gates. But then, finally, it became imperative that we separate. Had nothing further than my own safety or pleasure been at stake, no argument could have prevailed upon me to turn away the one creature upon Barsoom that had never failed in a demonstration of affection and loyalty. But as I would willingly have offered my life in the service of her, in search of whom I was about to challenge the unknown dangers of this, to me, mysterious city, I could not permit even Wooler's life to threaten the success of my venture, much less his momentary happiness, for I doubted not soon he would forget me. And so I bade the poor beast an affectionate farewell, promising him, however, that if I came through my adventure in safety that in some way I should find the means to search him out. He seemed to understand me fully, and when I pointed back in the direction of Thark, he turned sorrowfully away, nor could I bear to watch him go, but resolutely set my face towards Zodanga and with a touch of heart-sickness approaching her frowning walls. The letter I bore from them gained me immediate entrance to the vast, walled city. It was still very early in the morning, and the streets were practically deserted. The residences, raised high upon their metal columns, resembled huge rookeries, while the uprights themselves presented the appearance of steel tree-trunks. The shops, as a rule, were not raised from the ground, nor were their doors bolted or barred, since thievery is practically unknown upon Barsoom. Assassination is the ever-present fear of all the Barsoomians, <laughs> and for this reason alone their homes are raised high above the ground at night, or in times of danger. The Tor brothers have given me explicit directions for reaching the point of the city where I could find living accommodations, and be near the offices of the government agents to whom they had given me letters. My way what led to the central square plaza, which is characteristic of all Martian cities. The plaza Zodanga covers a square mile and is bounded by the palaces of the Jeddak, the Jed, and other members of the royalty and nobility of Zodanga, as well as by the principal public buildings, cafes, and shops. As I was crossing the great square, lost in wonder and admiration of the magnificent architecture and gorgeous scarlet vegetation which carpeted the broad lawns, I, dis broad lawns, I discovered a red Martian walking briskly toward me from one of the avenues. He paid not the slightest attention to me, but as he came abreast, I recognized him, and turning, I placed my hand upon his shoulder, calling out, Kaor Kantos Khan! Like lightning, he wheeled, and before I could so much as lower my hand, the point of his long sword was at my breast. Who are you, he growled, and then, as a backward leap carried me fifty feet from his, from his sword, he dropped to the point to the ground and exclaimed, laughing, I do not need a better reply. There is but one man upon all Barsoom who can bounce about like a rubber ball. By the mother of the further moon, John Carter, how came you here? And have you become a Darcyn that you can change your color at will? You give me, you gave me half a bad, uh, a bad half minute, my friend. He continued, after I had briefly outlined my adventure since parting with him in the arena at Warhoon. Were my name and city known to the Zodangans, I would shortly be sitting on the banks of the lost sea of Chorus with my revered and departed ancestors. I am here in the interest of Tardos Mors, Jeddak of Helium, to discover the whereabouts of Dejah Thoris, our princess. Sabthan, prince of Zodanga, has her hidden in the city and has fallen madly in love with her. His father, Thancosis, Jeddak of Zodanga, has made her voluntary marriage to his son the price of peace between our countries. But Tardos Mors will not accede to the demands, and has sent word that he and his people would rather look upon the dead face of their princess than see her wed to any than her own choice. And that he, personally he would prefer being engulfed in the ashes of a lost and burning helium to joining the metal of his house with that of Thancosis. His reply was the deadliest affront he could have put upon Thancosis and the Zodangans, but his people love him the more for it, and his strength in helium is greater today than ever. 
I have been here three days, continued Kantos Khan, but I have not yet found where Dejah Thoris is imprisoned. Today I join the Zordangan navy as an air scout, and I hope in this way to win the confidence of Sabthan, the prince, who is commander of this division of the navy, and thus learn the whereabouts of Dejah Thoris. I am glad that you are here, John Carter, for I know your loyalty to my princess, and two of us working together should be able to accomplish much. The plaza was now commencing to fill with people going and coming upon the daily activities of their duties. The shops were opening and the cafes filling with early morning patrons. Kantos Khan led me to one of these gorgeous eating places where we were served entirely by mechanical apparatus. No hand touched the food from the time it entered the building in its raw state until it emerged, hot and delicious, upon the tables before the guests, in response to the touching of tiny buttons to indicate their desires. After our meal, Kantos Khan took me with him to the headquarters of the Air Scout Squadron, and introducing me to his superior, asked that I be enrolled as a member of the Corps. In accordance with, a, with custom and examination was necessary, but Kantos Khan had told me to have no fear on this score, as he would attend to that part of the matter. He accomplished this by taking my order, of exa order for examination to the examining officer, and representing himself as John Carter. This ruse will be discovered later, he cheerfully explained, when they check up my weights, measurements, and other personal identification data. But it will be several months before this is done, and our mission should be accomplished, or have failed, long before that time. The next few days were spent by Kantos Khan in teaching me the intricacies of flying and of repairing the dainty little contrivances which the Martians use for this purpose. The body of the one-man aircraft is about 16 feet long, 2 feet wide, and 3 inches thick, tapering to a point at each end. The driver sits on top of this plane upon a seat constructed over the small, noiseless radium engine which propels it. The medium of buoyancy is contained within the thin metal walls of the body and consists of the eighth Barsoomian ray, or ray of propulsion, as it may be termed in view of its properties. This ray, like the ninth ray, is unknown on Earth, but the Martians have discovered it, uh, discovered that it is an inherent property of all light, uh, no matter from what source it emanates. They have learned that it is the eighth solar ray which propels the light of the sun to the various planets, and that it is the individual eighth ray of each planet which reflects, or propels, the light, thus obtained out into space once more. The, eight, the solar eighth ray would be absorbed by the surface of Barsoom, but the Barsoomian eighth ray, which tends to propel light from Mars into space, is constantly streaming out from the planet, constituting a force of repulsion of gravity, which, when confined, is able to lift enormous weights from the surface of the ground. It is this ray which has enabled them to so perfect aviation that battleships far outweighing anything known upon Earth sail as gracefully and lightly through the thin air of Barsoom as a toy balloon in the heavy atmosphere of Earth. During the early years of the, of the discovery of this ray, many strange accidents occurred before the Martians learned to measure and control the wonderful power they had found. In one instance, some 900 years before, the first great battleship to be built with eighth ray reservoirs was stored with too great a quantity of the rays, and she had sailed up from helium with 500 officers and men, never to return. Her power of repulsion for the planet was so great that it had carried her far into space, where she can be seen today, and by the aid of powerful telescopes, hurtling through the heavens 10,000 miles from Mars, a tiny satellite that will thus encircle Barsoom to the end of time. The fourth day after my arrival at Zodanga, I made my first flight, and as a result of it I won a promotion, which included quarters in the palace of Thancosis. As I rose above the city, I circled several times, as I had seen Kantos Khan do, and then, throwing my engine into top speed, I raced at terrific velocity toward the south, following one of the great waterways which, en which enters Zodanga from that direction. I had traversed perhaps 200 miles in a little less than an hour when I descried far below me a party of three green warriors racing madly toward a small figure on foot 
which seemed to be trying to reach the confines of one of the walled fields. Dropping my machine rapidly toward them, and circling to the rear of the warriors, I soon saw that the object of their pursuit was a red Martian, wearing the medal of the scout squadron to which I was attached. A short distance away lay his tiny flyer, surrounded by the tools with which he had evidently been occupied in repairing some damage, when surprised by the green warriors. They were now almost upon him, their flying mounts charging down on the relatively puny figure at terrific speed, while the warriors leaned low to the right, with their great metal-shod spears. Each seemed, to be, each seemed striving to be the first to impale the poor Zodangan, and in another moment his fate would have been sealed had it not been for my timely arrival. Driving my fleet aircraft at high speed directly behind the warriors, I soon overtook them, and without diminishing my speed, I rammed the prow of my little flyer between the shoulders of the nearest. The impact sufficient to have torn through inches of solid steel hurled the fellow's headless body into the air, over the head of his throat, where it fell sprawling upon the moss. The mounts of the other two warriors turned squealing in terror and bolted in opposite directions. Reducing my speed, I circled, and came to the ground at the feet of the astonished Zodangan. He was warm in his thanks for my timely aid, and promised that my day's work would bring the reward it merited, for it was none other than a cousin of the Jeddak of Zodanga, whose life I had saved. We wasted no time in talk, as we knew that the warriors would surely return as soon as they had gained control of their mounts. Hastening to his damaged vehicle, we were bending every effort to finish the needed repairs, and had almost completed them when we saw the two green monsters returning at top speed from the opposite sides of us. When they had approached within a hundred yards, their thoughts again became unmanageable and absolutely refused to advance further toward the aircraft which had frightened them. The warriors finally dismounted and, hobbling their animals, advanced towards us on foot with drawn longswords. Advancing to meet the larger, telling the Zodangan to do the best he could with the other. Uh, I adva oh, sorry, I advanced to meet the, the larger, telling the Zodangan to do the best he could with the other. Finishing my man with almost no effort, as he had, as had now from much practice become habitual with me, I hastened to return to my new acquaintance, whom I found in a desperate straits. He was wounded, and down with the huge foot of his antagonist upon his throat, and the great longsword raised to deal the final thrust. With a bound, I cleared the fifty feet intervening between us, and with outstretched point drove my sword completely through the body of the green warrior. His sword fell harmless, to the ground, and he sank limply upon the, on the, on the prostrate form of the Zodangan. A cursory examination of the latter revealed no mortal injuries, and after a brief rest, he asserted that he felt fit to attempt the return voyage. He would have to pilot his own craft, however, as these frail vessels are not intended to convey but a single person. Quickly completing the repairs, we rose together into the still, cloudless Martian sky, and at great speed and without further mishap, returned to Zodanga. As we neared the city, we discovered a mighty concourse of civilians and troops assembled upon the plain before the city. The sky was black with naval vessels and private and public pleasure craft, flying long streamers of gay-colored silks and banners and flags of odd and picturesque design. My companion signaled that I slow down, and running his machine close behind mine, suggested that we approach and watch the ceremony, which, he said, was for the purpose of conferring honors on individual officers and men for bravery and other distinguished service. He then unfurled a little ensign which denoted that his craft bore a member of the royal family of Zodanga, and together we made our way through the maze of low-lying air vessels until we hung directly over the Jeddak of Zodanga and his staff. 
all were mounted upon the small domestic bull thoats of the Red Martians, and their trappings and ornamentation bore such a quantity of gorgeously colored feathers that I could not but be struck with the startling resemblance, resemblance the concourse bore to a band of the Red Indians of my own earth. One of the staff called the attention of Than Kosas to the presence of my companion above them, and the ruler motioned for him to descend. As they waited for the troops to move into position facing the Jeddak, the two talked earnestly together, the Jeddak and his staff occasionally glancing up at me. I could not hear their conversation, and presently it ceased and all dismounted, as the last body of troops had wheeled into position before their emperor. A member of the staff advanced towards the troops, and, calling the name of a soldier, commanded him to advance. The officer then recited the nature of the heroic act which had won the approval of the Jeddak, and the latter advanced and placed a metal ornament upon the left arm of the lucky man. Ten men had been so decorated when the aide called out, John Carter, air scout! Never in my life had I been so surprised. But the habit of military discipline is strong within me, and I dropped my little machine lightly to the ground and advanced on foot as I had seen the others do. As I halted before the officer, he addressed me in a voice audible to the entire assemblage of troops and spectators. "'In recognition, John Carter,' he said, "'of your remarkable courage and skill in defending the person of the cousin of the Jeddak, Than Kosas, and single-handedly vanquishing three green warriors, it is the pleasure of our Jeddak to confer on you the mark of his esteem.' Than Kosas then advanced towards me, and, placing an ornament upon me, said, my cousin has narrated the details of your wonderful achievement, which seems little short of miraculous. And if you can so well defend a cousin of the Jeddak, how much better could you defend the person of the Jeddak himself? You are therefore appointed a padwar of the guards, and will be quartered in my palace hereafter. I thanked him, and at his direction joined the members of his staff. After the ceremony, I returned my machine to its quarters on the roof of the barracks of our air scout squadron, and... With an orderly from the palace to guide me, I reported to the officer in charge of the palace. Wow. <laughs> Masterfully read, David. Thank you, sir. Very nice. So I think you can see in that the sort of nascent cultural <laughs> elements of Star Wars beginning to take shape. Yeah, I stabbed the definitely. crap out of it. That was fun. Isn't it delightful? I like it. Yeah. I, I think I it's get, great. You were right. You were right. Such... They, are, they are like unto the Red Indians of Earth. Well, I, I, thought, I thought he mentioned that somewhere, but I, I didn't quite remember. So, yes, I think definitely uh, I would recommend reading A Princess of Mars. <sighs> Edgar Rice Burroughs, as we said, is the author. And it is... Arguably, uh, the first sort of science fiction adventure story, I think you could say, and very influential. I disagree on Star Wars. What What would you? Jules Verne definitely say? predates that. I wouldn't call Jules Verne's work adventure stories, though. Oh. And uh, nor nor would I call H.G. Wells' stories adventure stories per se. They're mm. Or uh, they're, they're more, at least Vern, I think, is much more of a travel writer in a way. He's writing uh, the, he's writing journey stories. He's writing travel logs mm. in his way. Mm. But I think this kind, this is sort of the first time that this swashbuckling adventure genre was really brought to a science fiction setting. Maybe. That's my opinion. And I think 
you can see <laughs> pretty directly how it influenced the Flash Gordon piece we played earlier and pretty directly influenced the Star Wars piece that we played before that. And, of course, our theme today is Star Wars here on Theater of the Air. Now, we don't quite have enough time to play uh, <laughs> to play a second episode of the Star Wars radio serial. But I think we do have time for a short break. I think we do as well. So we'll be back shortly here on KWR Theater of the Air.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a fine, fine episode of the KWUR Theater. It has. That was fun. Yes. We should do Star Wars Week every week. I'm not so sure <laughs> we about We should that. change this to the K-War. Oh. oh, we've got somebody for Wait a call Wait a second. In, maybe. We have a call. We have a caller. Hello, KWUR. You're on the air. Keep it clean. Hello. Hold on. Oh, caller. Uh, Are you there? Hello, caller. Caller. Perhaps it was a phantom. A phantom. A phantom. Phantom menace. It's a ghost. Maybe our phone isn't working. Oh, maybe we've. Okay, well, getting lots of calls. Sorry, caller. I guess our phone isn't working. Sorry about that. But bye. Well, that was fun. That was sad. (laughs) That was sad. We'll never know who it was. We will never know. (laughs) Ever. Uh. Anyway. Uh. This is the end of the show. This is the end of the show. Which is here we, to we've had a We've had a very fun time playing Star Wars. And doing readings. And and, and playing uh, the materials from which it was derived. But now it's time for this music. Oh. Wait a second. It's not our music. <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> that's our station ID. I like it anyway, however. <laughs> oh. Oh, there we go. That sounds like the end music. Okay. Okay, here's the end credits music. That means the show is over. It's true. It's terrible. It's sad. But we got some credits for you. The David. KWUR Theater of the Air is per- written, directed, and produced by David Reinstrom, David Bruno Bretman, and Alexandra Nicole Jensen, who is looking mighty fine. Hi. How's it going? Our, okay. uh, our opening music is composed by Peter McConnell, and our closing music is composed by, uh, what's his face? David, help me out. <laughs> Opening music? Or closing music. This music. Closing music? It's uh, Michael... uh, Mark O'Connor. Mark O'Connor. I fail. Terrible. David fail. I didn't have it written down. (laughs) Alexo? Makeup for this week by Darth Vader. Lighting by a (laughs) Wookiee. Dead uncle of the week is Uncle Owen. Our executive producer is Dash Rendar. Uh, The voice actor for... Every single part on our show today was, in fact, Mark Hamill. <laughs> Mark Hamill was the voice actor for all parts heard on the show today. And David Brunel Brutman's least favorite Ewok of the week is all of them. That's all of them. And one final note, the scruffy-looking nerf herder of the week is Jim Kramer of CNBC's Mad Money. Thank you, sir. Go herd some nerfs. Quite an honor. All right, have a, have a good week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Who's scruffy looking? Boink, wah. He should have a Wookiee noise on his show. Brrr.